Section 71 of London Labour and the London Poor by Henry Mayhew, Volume 1. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. The Street Folk, Part 71. There was a blind woman of his acquaintance, he informed me, who could thread the smallest needle with the finest hair in a minute, and never miss once. She'll do it in a second. Many blind women thread their needles with their tongues. The woman who stitches by the polytechnic always does so. My informant was very fond of music. One of the blind makes his own teeth, he told me. His front ones have all been replaced by one long bit of bone, which he has fastened to the stumps of his two eye-teeth. He makes them out of any old bit of bone he can pick up. He files them and drills a hole through them to fasten them into his head, and eats his food with them. He is obliged to have teeth because he plays the clarionet in the street. Music, he said, is our only enjoyment. We all like to listen to it and learn it. It affects them greatly, they tell me, and if a lively tune is played, they can hardly help dancing. Many a tune I've danced to, so that I could hardly walk the next day, said one. Almost all of the blind men are clever at reckoning. It seems to come natural to them after the loss of their sight. By counting, they say they spend many a dull hour. It appears to be all mental arithmetic with them, for they never aid their calculations by their fingers or any signs whatever. My informant knew a blind man who could reckon on what day it was new moon for a hundred years back, or when it will be new moon a century to come. He had never had a book read to him on the subject in his life. He was one of the blind wandering musicians. My informant told me he often sits for hours and calculates how many quarters of ounces there are in a shipload of tea, and such like things. Many of the blind are very partial to the smell of flowers. My informant knew one blind man about the streets who always would have some kind of smelling flowers in his room. "'The blind are very ingenious.' "'Oh, very,' said one to me. "'They can do anything that they can feel.' One blind man who kept a lodging-house at Manchester, and had a wife fond of drink, made a little chest of drawers about two feet high, in which he used to put his money, and so cleverly did he arrange it, that neither his wife nor anyone else could get at the money without breaking the drawers all to pieces. Once, while her blind husband was on his travels, she opened every drawer by means of false keys, and though she took each one out, she could find no means to get at the money, which she could hear jingling inside when she shook it. At last she got so excited over it that she sent for a carpenter, and even he was obliged to confess that he could not get to it without taking the drawers to pieces. The same blind man had a great fancy for white mice, and made a little house for them out of pieces of wood, cut into the shape of bricks. There were doors, windows, and all, said my informant. The blind are remarkable for the quickness of their hearing. One man assured me he could hear the lamp-posts in the streets, and indeed any substance, any solid thing, he said, that he passed in the street, provided it be as high as his ear. If it were below that, he could not hear it so well. Do you know, I can hear any substance in the street as I pass it by, even the lamp-post or a dead wall, anything that's the height of my head. Let it be ever so small, just as well, and tell what it is, as well as you as can see. One night I was coming home, you'll be surprised to hear this, along Burlington Gardens, between twelve and one o'clock, and a gentleman was following me. I knew he was not a poor man by his walk, but I didn't consider he was watching me. 
I just heerd when I got between Sackville Street and Burlington Street. Oh, I knows every inch of the street, and I can go as quick as you can, and walk four mile an hour. Know where I am all the while. I can tell the difference of the streets by the sound of my ear. A wide street and a narrow street. I can't tell a long street till I get to the bottom of it. I can tell when I come to an opening or a turning just by the click on the ear, without either my touching with hand or stick. Well, as I was saying, this gentleman was noticing me, and just as I come to turn up Cork Street, which, you know, is my road to go into Bond Street, on my way home, just as I come into Cork Street and was going to turn round the corner, the sergeant of police was coming from Bond Street at the opposite corner of Cork Street. I heard him, and he just stopped to notice me, but didn't know the gentleman was noticing me too. I whipped round the corner as quick as any man that had his sight, and said, "'Good night, policeman.' I can tell a policeman's foot anywhere, when he comes straight along in his regular way while on his beat, and they all know it too. I can't tell it where there's a noise, but in the stillness of the night nothing would beat me. I can't hear the lamp-posts when there's a noise. When I said, "'Good night, policeman,' the gentleman whipped across to him and says, "'Is that man really blind?' and by this time I was halfway up Cork Street, when the gentleman hallooed me to stop, and he comes up and says, says he, Are you really blind? The sergeant of police was with him, and he says, Yes, he is really blind, sir. And then he says, How is it that you go so cleverly along the street if you're blind? Well, I didn't want to stop bothering with him, so I merely says, I do far cleverer things than that. I can hear the lamp-post as well as you that can see it. He says, yes, because you know the distance from one to another. The sergeant stood there all the time, and he says, no, that can't be, for they're not a regular distance, one from another. Then the gentleman says, now, could you tell if I was standing in the street when you passed me by? I said, yes, but you mustn't stand behind the lamp-post to deceive me with the sound of the substance. Then he went away to try me, and a fine try we had. He will laugh when he sees that they're all put down. When he went away I recollected that if he didn't stand as near to the pavement as the lamp-post is, and remain still, he'd deceive me. Oh, certainly I couldn't hear him if he was far off, and I shouldn't hear him in the same way as I can hear the lamp-posts if he didn't stand still. The policeman hallooed after him, and told him that he mustn't deceive me, but he wouldn't make no answer for fear I should catch the sound of his voice, and know where he was. I had agreed to touch every substance as I went along and round the street to look for him, we always call it looking, though we are blind. Well, when he had stood still, the sergeant told me to go. He's the sergeant of St. James' Station House, and has been often speaking to me since about it. And on I went at the rate of about three mile an hour, and touched every lamp-post without feeling for them, but just struck them with my stick as I went by, without stopping, and cried out, There's a substance. At last I came to him. There's a mews, you know, just by the hotel in Cork Street, and the gentleman stood between the mews and Clifford Street in Cork Street, and when I come up to him I stopped quite suddenly and cried out, There's a substance. As I was offering to touch him with my stick, he drew back very softly just to deceive me. Then he would have another try, but I picked him out again. But that wouldn't satisfy him, and he would try me a third time. And then, when I came up to him, he kept drawing back right into the middle of the road. I could hear the stones scrunch under his feet, so I says, Oh, that's not fair. And he says, Well, I'm bet. Then he made me a present, and said that he would like to spend an hour some night with me again. I don't think he was a doctor, because he never took no notice of my eyes, but he was a real gentleman. The sergeant said so. When I dream, it's just the same as I am now. I dream of hearing and touching. 
the last dream that i had was about a blind man that's in prison just now i went into his wife's house i knew it was her house by the sound of my foot in it i can tell whether a place is clean or dirty by the sound then i heard her say well how do you get on and i said very well and she said sit down and after sitting there a little while i heard a voice at the door and i said to her bless me wouldn't you think that was john she said yes i would but she took no farther notice and i heard his voice repeatedly i thought he was speaking to a child and i got up and went to the door and says hello is this you i was quite surprised and took him by the arm note laying his hand on his own end note and he was in his shirt sleeves i knew that by the feel then i was kind of afeard of him though i am not afeard of anything i was rather surprised that he should come out three weeks before his time then i dreamt that he tried to frighten and push me down on the floor that way note making the motion sideways end note to make me believe he was a ghost i felt it as plain as i should if you were to do the same to me now i says to him don't be so foolish sit down and i pushed him away and got up when i got up his wife says to him sit down john and don't be so foolish sit down and behave yourself and then we sat down the two of us just on the edge of the bed note here he moved his hand along the edge of the table end note i thought it was turned down he's a very resolute man and a wicked one this blind man is so i would like to have been out from him but i was afeard to go for he'd got a hold of me after that i waked and i heard no more but it's my real opinion that he's dead now it is indeed through having such dreams of him i think so and the same night his wife dreamt that i was killed and all knocked into about a hundred pieces and those two dreams convince me something's come to him oh i do firmly believe in dreams that i do they're sent for people to foresee things i'm certain of it if people will only take notice of them i've been many times in prison myself while i've been travelling the country you know in many towns they comes and takes you up without giving you never no warning if they catches you begging i was took up once in liverpool once in hull once in exeter and once in biddeford in devonshire most of the times i had a month and one of them only seven days i think that's very unjust never to say you mustn't do it but to drag you off without never no warning every time before i was put in quad i had always dreamt that my father was starving to death for want of victuals, and at last i got to know whenever i dreamt that that i was sure of going to prison i never dreamt about my mother she died you see when i was very young and i never remember hearing her speak but once or twice my father never did the thing that was right to me and i didn't care much about him when i was at home i was very fond of pigeons and my mind went so much upon them that i used to dream of it the night before always when they had eggs and when my rabbits had young ones too i know when i wake in the morning that i am awake by my thoughts sometimes i dream i've got a lot of money in my hand and when i wake and put my hand to feel it it's gone there's none there and so i know it's been only a dream i'm much surprised at my disappointment though many of the blind are very fond of keeping birds and animals some of them keep pigeons in one of their rooms others have cocks and hens and others white mice and rabbits and almost all have dogs though all are not led about by them some blind men take delight in having nothing but bulldogs not to lead them but solely for fancy nobody likes a dog so much as a blind man i am told they can't the blind man is so much beholden to his dog he does him such favours and services 
with my dog i can go to any part of london as independent as anyone who has got his sight yesterday afternoon when i left your house sir i was ashamed of going through the street people was a saying look he there there's the man as says he's blind i was going so quick it was so late you know they couldn't make it out but without my dog i must have crawled along and always be in great fear the name of my present dog is keeper he is a mongrel breed i have had him nine years and he is with me night and day goes to church with me and all if i go out without him he misses me and then he scampers all through the streets where i am in the habit of going crying and howling after me just as if he was fairly out of his mind it's astonishing often before my first blind wife died for i've been married twice to blind women and once to a seeing woman i used to say i'd sooner lose my wife than my dog but when i did lose her i was sorry that ever i did say so i didn't know what it was i'm sorry for it yet and ever will be sorry for it she was a very good woman and had fine principles i shall never get another that i liked so much as the first my dog knows every word i say to him tell him to turn right or left or cross over and whip round he goes in a moment where i go for my tobacco at the shop in piccadilly close to the arcade it's down six or seven steps straight down and when i tells keeper to go to the backy shop off he is and drags me down the steps with the people after me thinking he's going to break my neck down the place and the people stands on top the steps making all kinds of remarks while i'm below if he was to lose me to-night or to-morrow he'd come back here and rise the whole neighbourhood he knows any public house no matter whether he was there before or not just whisper to him go to the public house and away he scampers and drags me right into the first he comes to directly i whisper to him go to the public house he begins playing away with the basket he has in his mouth throwing it up and laying it down throwing it up and laying it down for pleasure he gets his rest there and that's why he's so pleased it's the only place i can go to in my rounds to sit down oh he's a dear clever fellow now only to show you how faithful he is one night last week i was coming along burlington gardens and i stopped to light my pipe as i was coming home and i let him loose to play a bit and get a drink and after i had lit my pipe i walked on for i knew the street very well without any guide i didn't take notice of the dog for i thought he was following me i was just turning into clifford street when i heard the cries of him in burlington gardens i know his cry let him be ever so far away the screech that he set up was really quite dreadful it would grieve anybody to hear him so i puts my fingers in my mouth and gives a loud whistle and at last he heard me and then up he comes tearing along and panting away as if his heart was in his mouth and when he gets up to me he jumped up to me right upon my back and screams like as if he really wanted to speak you can't call it panting because it's louder than that and he does pant when he ain't tired at all all i can say is it's for all the world like he's speaking and i understands it as such if i say a cross word to him after he's lost such as ah you rascal you he'll just stand of one side and give a cry just like a christian i've known him break the windows up two stories high when i've left him behind and down he would have been after me only he durstn't jump out i've had keeper nine year the dog i had before him was blucher he was a mongrel too he had a tail like a wolf an ear like a fox and a face black like a monkey i had him thirteen year he was as clever as keeper but not so much loved as he is 
At last he went blind. He was about two years losing his sight. When I found his eyes was getting bad, I got keeper. The way I first noticed him going blind was when I would come to cross a street on my way home. At nightfall, the shade of the house on the opposite side, as we was crossing, would frighten him and drive him in the middle of the road, and he wouldn't draw to the pavement till he found he was wrong, and then, after that, he began to run again the lamp-posts in the dark. When he did this, he'd cry out just like a Christian. I was sorry for him, and he knowed that, for I used to fret. I was sorry for him on account of my own affliction. At last I was obligated to take to keeper. I got him of another blind man, but he had no learning in him when he come to me. I was a long time teaching him, for I didn't do it all at once. I could have teached him in a week, but I used to let the old dog have a run while I put keeper into the collar for a bit. Note, here the blind man was some time before he could proceed for his tears. End note. And so he larned all he knows little by little. Now, Keeper and Blucher used to agree pretty well, but I've got another dog now named Dash, and Keeper's as jealous of him as a woman is of a man. If I say, Come, Keeper, come and have the collar on, I may call twenty times before he'll come, but if I say, Dash, come and have the collar on, Keeper's there the first word, jumping up agin me and doing anything but speak. At last my old Blucher went stone blind, as bad as his master. It was, poor thing, and then he used to fret so when I went out without him that I couldn't bear it, and so got at length to take him always with me, and then he used to follow the knock of my stick. He done so for about six months, and then I was one night going along Piccadilly, and I stops, speaking to a policeman, and Blucher misses me. He couldn't hear where I was for the noise of the carriages. He didn't catch the sound of my stick, and couldn't hear my voice for the carriages, so he went seeking me into the middle of the road, and there a bus run over him, poor thing. I heard him scream out, and I whistled to him, and he came, howling dreadful, onto the pavement again. I didn't think he was so much hurt then, for I puts the collar on him to take him safe back, and he led me home, blind as he was. The next morning he couldn't rise up at all, his hind parts was useless to him. I took him in my arms and found he couldn't move. Well, he never eat nor drink nothing for a week, and got to be in such dreadful pain that I was forced to have him killed. I got a man to drown him in a bag. I couldn't have done it myself for all the world. It would have been as bad to me as killing a Christian. I used to grieve terribly after I'd lost him. I couldn't get him off my mind. I had had him so many years, and he had been with me night and day, my constant companion, and the most faithful friend I ever had, except Keeper. There's nothing in the world can beat Keeper for faithfulness. Nothing. Of the life of a blind bootlace seller. The blind bootlace seller, who gave me the following history of his life, was the original of the portrait given in number 17. He was a tall, strongly built man. In face, he was ghastly. His cheekbones were sharp and high, his nose flat to his face, and his eyes were so deeply sunk in that he had more the appearance of a death's head than of a living man. His shirt was scrupulously clean. He wore a bright red cotton neckerchief and a plaid waistcoat of many colours. His dog accompanied him and never left his master's side one moment. "'It's very sorrowful, very sorrowful indeed to hear that,' said the bootlace seller to me, on my reading him the account of the blind needle-seller. "'It touches me much to hear that.' 
but you see i don't grieve for the loss of my sight as he do poor man i don't remember ever seeing any object if there was a thing with many colours in it i could discern the highest colour i couldn't tell one from another but only the highest i was born in northumberland he said about five-and-fifty years ago my father was a grocer and had one thousand pounds worth of freehold property beside his business which was very large for a small town his was the principal shop and in the general line he had a cart of his own in which he attended market i was very comfortably brought up never wanted for nothing and had my mother lived i should have had an independent fortune at five years old while mother was still alive i caught the smallpox i had four sisters and one brother and we all six had it at once that was before the vaccination was properly established i've heard said that father did not want to have us inoculated because of the people coming backwards and forwards to the shop i only wish vaccination had been in vogue then as it is now and i shouldn't have lost my eyes god bless the man who brought it up i say people don't know what they've got to thank him for well all my sisters and brothers had not a mark upon them he laid hold of only me they couldn't lay a finger upon me they was obligated to lift me up in one of my father's shirts by holding the corners of it like a sheet as soon as ever the pock began to decay it took away my eyes altogether i didn't lose both my eyeballs till about twenty years after that though my sight was gone for all but the shadow of daylight and any high colours at sixteen years of age my left eye bursted i suffered terribly then oh terribly yes that i did the black and white like all mixed together the pock came right through the star of the eye the doctor said and when i was five-and-twenty my other eyeball bursted and then my eyes was quite out of my head till that time i could see a little bit i could tell the daylight and i could see the moon but not the shape of it i never could see a star and do you know i grieved about the loss of that little bit of sight as much as if i was losing the whole of it as my eyeball sloughed day by day i could see the light going away by little every day till the week's end when i looked at the daylight just before it all went i could see the light look as red as fire as red as blood and when it all left me oh i was dreadful sorrowful i thought i was lost altogether but i shouldn't have been so bad off as i said if mother had lived but she died when i was about six year old i didn't care much about her indeed i took a dreadful dislike to her i heard her say one day to a person in the shop that she would sooner see me dead and buried than be as i was but now i know that it was her fondness for me mother catched a cold and died after six days illness when she was gone father got to neglect his business he had no one then to attend to it and he took and shut up the shop he lost heart you see he took and turned all the tenants out of his property and furnished all the rooms of a large house suitable for the quality that used to come to the town to bathe he mortgaged the place for two hundred and fifty pounds to buy the furniture and that was the ruin of him eighteen years afterwards the lawyers got the better of him and all the family was turned out of the door without a penny my father they'd put in jail before he died a few years afterwards in the workhouse when the family was turned out there was only my oldest brother away at sea and my oldest sister in salvis so me and my three sisters was sent in the wide world without the means of getting a crust or a place to put our heads in all my sisters after that got into service and i went to drive some coal carts at north shields the coal carts was father's and they was all he had left out of his property 
so i used to go to wall's end and fill the carts then take them down to north shields and sell them at the people's doors we never used to sell less than the load i did all this blind as i was without a person to guide and continued at it night and day for about fifteen year it was well known to the whole countryside i was the talk for miles round they couldn't believe i was blind though they see my eyes was gone still they couldn't hardly believe then after the fifteen year me and my father had a complete fallout he took an advantage of my sister he had borrowed twenty pounds of her and when he could he wouldn't pay her he behaved as bad as father could and then i broke with him Note, he then went over the whole story and was affected even to speechlessness at the remembrance of his family troubles into these there is no necessity to enter here suffice it the blind man appears to have behaved very nobly End note. i came away and went to my brother who was well off at hull when i got there i found he had gone to russia and died there that very spring while i was on my way to hull i used to go to sleep at the lodging-houses for travellers i had never been in one before and there i got to think from what i had heard that a roving life was a fine pleasant one the very first lodging-house i went into was one in durham and there persons as was coming the same road persuaded me to go and beg with them but i couldn't cheek it it was too near hand at home we came on to darlington that was eighteen miles further that day they still kept company with me and wanted me to beg but i wouldn't i couldn't face it i thought people would know me the next day we started on our way to north allerton and then my few shillings was all gone so that night we went to seek relief and got a pennyworth of milk and a penny loaf each and our bed the parish gave us a ticket to a lodging-house the next morning we started from north allerton and then i was very hungry all i had the day before was the pennyworth of bread i got from the parish then as we got about a mile out of the town there was a row of houses and the scotchman who was with me says if you'll gang up with me i'll speak for you well we went up and got thruppence and plenty of bread and butter almost every house we got something at then i was highly delighted thinks i this is a business and so i did we shared with the other man who had come on the road with us and after that we started once more and then i was all eager to go on with the same business you see i'd never had no pleasure and it seemed to me like a new world to be able to get victuals without doing anything instead of slaving as i'd been with a couple of carts and horses at the coal pits all the time i didn't think the country was half so big and you couldn't credit the pleasure i felt in going about it i felt as if i didn't care for nothing it was so beautiful to be away there quite free without any care in the world for i could see plainly i could always get the best of victuals and the price of my lodgings there's no part in all england like yorkshire for living we used to go to all the farmhouses we wouldn't miss one if it was half a mile off the road if the scotchman who was with me could only see a road he'd take me up it and we got nice bits of pie and meat and bread and cake indeed as much as would serve four people when we got to the lodging-house at night and a few shillings beside i soon got not to care about the loss of my brother at last we got to make so much money that i thought it was made to chuck about the streets we got it so easy you see it was only four shillings or five shillings but then i was only a flatty or i could have made fourteen shillings or fifteen shillings at least this was in boroughbridge and there at a place called i think bridley hill there was a lodging-house without never a bed in it at all but only straw littered on the ground and here i found upwards of sixty or seventy all tramps 
and living in different ways, pattering and thieving and singing and all sorts, and that night I got to think it was the finest scene I had ever known. I grew pleaseder and pleaseder with the life, and wondered how anyone could follow any other. There was no drunkenness, but it was so new and strange, and I had never known nothing of life before, that I was bewildered like with overjoy at it. Then I soon got to think I'd have the summer's pleasure out, and wouldn't go near Hull till the back end of the year, for it was the month of May that what I'm talking about took place, and so things went on. I never thought of home or sisters or anything indeed. I was so overjoyed that I could think of nothing else. Whenever I got to a new county it seemed like getting into a new nation, and when I heard we were close upon a new place, I used to long and long to get into it. At last I left the Scotchman and took up with an old sailor, a man of war's man, who was coming up to London to get his pension, and he was a regular cadger, like the other who had put me fly to the dodge, though none of us weren't fly to nothing then. I can't tell you, I wanted to, how I longed to be in town, and as I came through the streets with him, I didn't know whether I carried the streets or they carried me. You see, I had heard people talk about London in North Shields, and I thought there was no poor people there at all, none but ladies and gentlemen and sailors. In London the sailor drew his pension, and he and me got robbed, and then the sailor left me, and then I started off without a penny into the country, and at Stratford-le-Bow I began for the first time to say, Pity the poor blind. Up to this time I had never axed no one, never spoke indeed. The cadgers who had been with me had done this for me, and glad to have the chance of sharing with me. A blind man can get a guide at any place, because they know he's sure to get something. I took only fivepence at Stratford-le-Bow, and then started on my way to Romford, and there in the lodging-house I met a blind man who took me in partnership with him, and lent me my business complete. That he just did. And since then I've been following it, and that's about two or three and twenty year ago. Since I've been in London, and that's fourteen year, I've lived very regular, always had a place, and attended my church. If it hadn't been for the lodging-houses, I should never, maybe, have been as I am, though I must confess I always had a desire to find out travelling, but couldn't get hold of anyone to put me in the way of it. I longed for a roving life, and to shake a loose leg, still I couldn't have done much else after my quarrel with my father. My sister had offered to lend me money enough to buy a horse and cart for myself, but I didn't like that, and I thought I'd get it of my brother at Hull and that and the padding kens is solely the cause of my being as i am and since i first travelled there's more now than ever double and treble as many end of section seventy one